What's up, everybody? Welcome to the third draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside the one and only Eric March. Oh, God, I have gas again. I'm, I'm, have, <laughs> I'm drinking a, a, a cherry Coke right now. And, and you just uh, ate a full foot-long submarine sandwich. Yeah, with onions, so my breath smells, <laughs> and, and I have gas, so I'm very pleasant to be around right what now. What a wonderful way to start this episode. It's Thank the you way so it's, much. I just, wanna, I just wanted to be out there in the open and, and share our thoughts with the viewers and, and and the people listening and we appreciate that we have some some news in terms of uh, our release schedule for the, for the podcast each and every week matt do you want to tell yeah. the good people when they can I mean, listen third episode now um I mean, if you're listening to this, you know this is the Untitled Movie Podcast. Uh, each and every week, Eric and I are going to talk about uh, movies and everything we uh, kind of uh, love or hate about them. And uh, you can get this podcast on uh, podcast services uh, kind of uh, everywhere now. We're up on uh, Apple Podcasts. We're up on Google Play. And we're also up on Stitcher. Um, each and every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, the podcast will go up uh, and... Thank you to everyone. I know we mentioned this last week, too, to everyone who's been listening and sending us amazing comments. But yes, each and every week, Monday mornings, 9 a.m. is when you'll be able to get that podcast on uh, your podcast service of choice. If we're not somewhere um, that we should be, please tweet at us. I know there are a couple other places I want to get up. Um, Spotify. Uh, yeah, Spotify would be we're nice. We're coming for you. I know. It's very difficult to get onto Spotify. Um but uh, uh, a couple different like music or podcast apps I'd like to get up on, but it's a uh, stick with us. Um, I hope that we're um, we're on the major ones right now, but I would like to get up on SoundCloud and different places like that. And uh, um, yeah, man, it's been fun. Uh, the third week, it's Tiffmas Eve, Eric. It sure is. We're recording this now, the the night before Tiffmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, except for. Assassination Nation. <laughs> oh God! Okay, uh, <laughs> so we're gonna talk about that in a bit, but um, yes, it's the night before. Uh, it's the calm before the storm, I guess. Yeah. I know this podcast is going up on Monday, so we'll be in mid swing of TIFF. Um, but what's great is we'll be able to talk about some of the movies we've seen already. Yes, and and that's nice because the embargo will have lifted for a number of films that we have uh, seen, whether uh, both of us have or or one of us, and we can uh, sort of give you a, not a complete review per se, but at least our. our our initial thoughts, yeah. our impressions of what we thought of some uh, very uh, exciting titles, movies that people want to see during mm -hmm. during the next two weeks. Yeah, we have a good eclectic mix of stuff. Uh, we're gonna on today's episode, we're gonna talk about uh, kind of what we've been watching, which we like to start each episode with, which is mostly TIFF um, movies. <laughs> yeah, mostly TIFF movies. But I've been watching some other random stuff as as per usual, uh, catching up on some stuff before TIFF two. Uh, we're gonna talk about the uh, Captain Marvel uh, kind of images and news that just came out um uh, and talk about what we think about there uh i want to talk about ryan johnson's knives out which sounds really uh kind of cool uh, what he's going to be doing before his next star wars uh kind of trilogy that he's doing uh we're also going to do a quick review of peppermint uh which uh, is released uh this weekend and uh then we're going to go into our uh first kind of tiff 2018 impressions uh of sisters brothers destroyer if beale street could talk free solo through black spruce uh shark water extinction and as we mentioned assassination nation so jam-packed episode um yeah it's the calm before the storm we're just kind of hanging out here at my apartment kind of getting ready to go to our first event tonight and as you're listening to this, we'll be probably already exhausted. Dead. And, we'll be dead. Uh, um, <laughs> and uh, ha have seen like 
15 movies already yeah. um, or more. But, but also, I mean, it's, it is interesting, you know, being local and, and going to, you know, the, the press office and, and, and seeing, you know, the signs and, and the billboards and advertising all ready to go. And, and, and again, like this moment now, it's, it's so quiet and peaceful and, and everything is accessible and easy to get to. <laughs> and, you know, that's all going to change in, in less than 24 hours from now where it's just going to be, you know, the haven for international press, uh, local press, national press. And, you know, everybody's going to be seeing movies, doing interviews. And it's... and even the fans, too, like just like the public, too. Yeah. Like, that's one thing I love about this festival is that it's. I mean, as much as uh, as people can maybe say that it's it can be elitist or it's getting um, more and more difficult to get tickets or more and more expensive, it is still very accessible to the public. Right. Well, it, I mean, it is, you know, the people's festival in, in, in a way because, I mean, you look at nothing against Telluride or Cannes or, or Sundance, but that's press first and foremost where, you know, when you have these public screenings, you're getting a real reaction of how the movie could play when it's released theatrically or distributors and buyers can look at movies that might not have a home yet and say, hey, you know, the audience really seemed to, to be into this. So it gauges how the film might do when it gets that theatrical release. And again, yeah, it's not elitist in any way. And it's great to see that the public, uh, directed by Emilio Estevez, <laughs> is invited. <laughs> yeah, and I, that's what I love about this festival. And I mean, we've we've gone over it a, a zillion times at it and I've tweeted about it and I'm, I'm very sappy when it comes to tips and that it's my absolute favorite time of the year and I love every single thing about it. Well, um, you're a, you're, you're a um, tinkerer with the schedule. Uh, yeah, and I just obsess over my schedule and what movies I want to see and where I see them and, and things like that. But I do love that you can just buy single tickets to a screening and you could see one thing or you could see 40 things or you could see 60 things, right? And... I feel like at a lot of other film festivals, you either have to buy like a a, a badge or something, which we do. But I mean, you um, as being in in the industry, you can do that at, at TIFF. But um, my and parents could just come see a movie or or anyone can by just buying a couple single tickets. Right. Which I think is really, really right. cool. And there are other festivals that do that. New York and, 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 and all over the world. But um, there are a lot that wh whether it's South by Southwest or Cannes or Venice or... Um, Sundance, um, Sundance yeah. or Telluride, you have to kind of buy usually a package or it's very expensive to go to them. Um, so, and you get yeah. to see people that you don't normally get to see any other time of the year. And it's just nice to have that communication with other critics and to kind of gauge different perspectives on film and, and, and sort of, hey, say like, oh, maybe I, I wrote Assassination Nation off, but somebody else might really like it and have yeah. a really good point on why the film works. Right. And, and that's something I love, too, and something we've talked about that we want to get more people on this podcast that have different opinions than us and viewpoints yeah, yeah it can bring some you know uh cultural um text to what we're, mm -hmm. we're we're talking about because you know as much as we love film we seem to agree on a lot of stuff mm -hmm. so we don't want it not to all just, the time but... not all the time but we don't want it to become just an echo chamber where it's like right yeah we agree or we disagree and the occasional time will split well we actually want to dig a little deeper and have people that come on and and, and sort of bring their point of view to th and challenge to us yeah too, which I think absolutely is and that's what i love about the festival like what you mentioned you bump into a ton of people that even the people that uh, are in toronto that you just don't see a lot or or they they're out during the festival and it's that 
you share love of, of movies and, and again you might not agree on everything but you can have those kind of interesting conversations of yeah someone who loved something that you hated and and have a civil conversation about that and 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 it brings some perspective and it, and it's just a blast man like i guess like one of the things with the reserved seating and everything this year that you'll people will miss out on is that you might not be which who's going to complain that you're not going to be waiting in line as much but sometimes it's kind of fun to kind of everyone get together an hour before the movie and line up and you just kind of talk about what you've seen and different things like that because now I feel like you can jam pack even more with the reserve seating and you're just kind of running from one location to another. And I mean, I'm not complaining at all, but right. Um, I will complain quickly though on the reserve seating, just, <laughs> just a little bit because like reserve seating for just, you know, movies that are opening on Friday, like mm-hmm. peppermint, which we'll be talking about in a little bit. I find that some people feel that they can just take their time and walk in, you know, even five, like, 10 five, minutes yeah, into a, that the movie I don't like, yeah. and it's disruptive. But luckily with TIFF, they still have the, um, the rule that you have to be there 15 minutes before or else they will give your seat away. So, good. um, I mean, it's still an, it's not the best when someone in the rush line has to right. climb over you. But I mean that, that that it is what it is. And usually it's in the first five minutes of the movie and then, then you're okay. Um, but TIFF has the best audiences in the world, and it's it's the amazing. most respectful. Yeah, totally. It's 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 again like what you're saying. It's it's to be passionate to have a conversation about film and be there to experience it as a communal uh, group. And, and you're and, there to watch the movie. Yeah. So and you're paying a lot of money to do that. So people don't talk or go on their phones, which is amazing. And um, or you get to do interviews with people that you never yeah. thought you would be able to, and, and have a conversation. That might lead to interesting and exciting places that, again, you might not have seen, you know, in the film or, or gives you another perspective on the movie. Yeah, for sure. All right. So uh, what have you been watching, man? Like, um, I, I mean, other, other than, than TIFF stuff, we can go into that later. But have you been watching TV or, or any movies at home? No, I mean, mostly I've just been getting ready for the festival. The only thing I think I watched was when I was... Uh, the last time we recorded afterwards, we, we watched, watched Predator. Predator. Yeah, right after and the opening of Predator Two. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, we can talk about that a, a little bit. I watched Predator with you, and then right when you left, I watched Predator Two. I started Predators uh, last night. Unfortunately, it was pretty late because uh, Nevis and I also watched Halloween last night as nice. well. So um, the immortal kinda, classic. Yeah, and that's all TIFF prep too. So I mean, sticking on the the topic of uh, of TIFF, um, Halloween is premiering there. David Gordon Green's Halloween um, at Midnight Madness on Saturday night. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, we uh, would have already seen it, but unfortunately, we haven't seen it yet. Uh, so I watched Halloween with Nevis to kind of catch up, and then I've been watching all the Predator movies to catch up for. Also, we're seeing Shane Black's. Um, the predator yes on um he didn't drop the the it's not as clean um so i will finish predators tonight and then um probably after the the quick get together we have later with the tfca um did you uh did you did you watch halloween in 4k no so unfortunately the 4k is not available yet so i mean we it comes out september 25th i think yeah the end of september so it was was american psycho yeah i was hoping that on iTunes, sometimes they the 4K editions get uploaded a bit earlier because they're just they're ready to go. Like you don't actually have to ship the disc, um, which happened with the Mission Impossible movies as well as a, a couple more, uh, the Jurassic Park films and, and things like that. But uh, I didn't want to wait. Like I do want to watch it in 4K, but like I didn't. I I, I wanted to watch it 
again before um, we see the movie on Saturday night, and I didn't want to kind of risk waiting any longer. So I'm sure I'll still, if it comes out in 4K and it's available on iTunes, I'll probably watch it again. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, the season's coming up. Now, I do have a question uh, for you. I mean, we haven't seen the movie yet, um, and this isn't a spoiler because it's been talked about on the internet. How do you feel about... uh, the the Sam Loomis character played by Donald Pleasance in the original series not being a part of this in terms of like a physical presence like there's nobody recast in the role they're just I mean, kind of I, using I mean he'd be how old was Donald Pleasance oh he, he was he was in his 70s at that point but oh I mean, really when he shot the original Halloween? oh no 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 probably 40s 50s so he'd be in his 80s or, yeah. or 90s in this because it's 40 years later right? right I think it's 40 yeah 78 is when the original takes place and this one is in yeah, it'd be 40 or 50 years later, which is crazy. Because, I mean, he's always been a big part of that series. And I know that they're going to be referencing him. And they've even, David Gordon Green's talked about getting a voice actor to replicate um, some dialogue that's going to be Probably in the like film. Like a voiceover or recording yeah, or something like that. Because the framing device is that you have like this British crime. documentary yeah. crew coming in to talk about the case and, and ignoring the rest of the mythology that's come before. But I, I just think that's kind of interesting because, because Donald Pleasant was kind of the other than Mike Myers himself the shape was the star of that franchise if you watch the original movie it opens with Donald Pleasance in Halloween right and then Jamie Lee Curtis was kind of billed afterwards I know it was one of her first it was her yeah it was her first first movie yeah so um it's interesting I mean if 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 those for you uh those who don't know this movie is kind of retconning we're kind of splitting off the timeline and being a uh, direct sequel to the first Halloween movie and ignoring everything afterwards. So, so Ben Tramer is still dead. Um, yeah. So at two through H2O or Resurrection are all kind of um, eliminated, and this is a direct sequel to the first one. So interesting. And, yeah, um, which is even more – which is odd because Halloween 2 – takes place five night, minutes right? after yeah. the first one ends yeah and that doesn't in this timeline that that's not canon so um it's interesting and i mean an opposite of the predator where i think the predator is a uh sequel to everything that came before maybe minus the avp movies but those are kind of their their own thing everyone um, tries to ignore that yeah so i don't know i'm 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 excited for both and so i've been kind of catching up with that stuff and i watched uh Blue- both of those movies are so sweaty oh, the God. predator films yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're just well i mean i love the concept of that they only um they only come during like the the biggest heat waves or whatever right yeah and then the third movie is interesting like, i only watched half of predators but it's almost got this weird like saw kind of like we've chosen you and dropped you in this location and everyone's got their purpose or their different kind of cliche that they they yeah. have and um well mahershal ali is yeah. the african war tri- uh, yeah. tribe kind it's of, just like and it's... adrian brody is, is kind of i mean i don't i i was enjoying myself watching right. it but like, Topher um, grace Topher grace yeah <laughs> uh big shout out to Topher. um so yeah, I've been watching that stuff. I I, I watched Blue Ruin to kind of because I'm getting excited for um, uh, Hold the Dark. Hold the Dark, and then I also uh, following up on um, the Spider-Man in review that I talked about last week. I watched um, Spider-Man two and three because I know I'll I'll be busy with um, Tiff, so I I kind of got ahead and watched both of those so the songs two, weren't that good though right no not as good um dashboard confessions yeah. was the second one yeah <laughs> vindicated <laughs> um yeah spider-man 2 i think still holds up it's it's 
it's got some problems and or maybe not even problems but it's, it feels dated in parts right. um but overall like um alfred molina is amazing as doc ock and i think they really learned from some of this the not the mistakes but some of the kind of campiness of the first one and while it's still there uh, i think it has a better balance yeah of, uh, of well like of i mean it's and... it's still playful because i mean yeah. you look at that burke back rack uh, raindrops keeps falling oh, on my yeah. head <laughs> sequence where it, again it's goofy but it kind of works because you know he's finally taking a break from the superhero stuff that's consuming his entire life and making everything else harder to you know enjoy or, or work on and he's finally seeing the happier side of things but that's gonna you know pay a price because who's gonna be you know saving the world from from people like doc ock and yeah. the symbiote <laughs> or oat so yeah spider-man 2 i think um still pretty much holds up i still enjoyed the hell out of it um and then i watched spider-man 3 which when it starts you're like oh this is not as bad as i remember it's okay and then it just progressively the gets movie really worse. should have ended with the sandman sequence in the subway and i feel like that's where yeah. raimi kind of wanted it to, to well i end. think he only he really only wanted sandman and maybe yeah um, uh, hobgoblin to be the secondary villain and then the venom stuff just feels totally tacked on and 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 awful but but uh, then, emo spider-man oh my god man it's dig so, on this it's so <laughs> funny i forgot how funny it was because i remember the first time you watch you watch it you're kind of just like what the fuck is happening right now like what is this and as you remember it and 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 it it comes comes on again um, it's it's really funny, but it's just so bizarre and strange. And like I I remember you watched the '90s cartoon too, right? I sure and did. Like yeah. The Venom saga in in the, the '90s cartoon, I remember being my favorite thing ever, and I think that's ultimately why Venom is 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 hugely popular. But um, I just remember him getting the black suit and having the big white spider, uh, 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 Peter Parker, and then um, kind of being more of an asshole rather than like a. Yeah, like, like that a, Bronx like, accented yeah. kind of guy. And I love the voice of Venom in the cartoon. Yeah. Like I always remember how twisted and creepy it was compared to what Eddie Brock was. Right. And I think they did a good job if we're going to compliment something out of the new Venom trailers, the 2018 Venom trailers. Like I the voice that with Eddie talking to Venom in in, in his head kind of thing, I think is much better than than the Topher Grace stuff in, in Spider-Man three. And, um, but he just feels really tacked on. And then, and, and Eddie Brock's like sort of problematic in the movie. I know he's not supposed to be likable, but he like sexually harasses people. And like, it's just kind of cringy and gross. Like, and I get that he's a villain and you're not supposed to like him, but the way that he treats, uh, Betty Brant and, and, uh, played um, by Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. And, um, uh, Gwen Stacy, Bryce Dallas Howard's character, um, where he's like says that they're in a relationship and she's like we only went on one date and i'm like this is kind of gross right and uh well he's i mean the character is kind of slimy. a scumbag yeah but, i know but in, the, but in the in the cartoon he's just more of a yeah kinda jock kinda yeah character. he's more yeah he he works with peter and he's like again it's just it's such an interesting choice with Topher grace and like he kind of looks like toby Maguire too and it's just like I get that that's maybe what they were going for with the like the right. mirrored version of him but um like the uh red and blue suit versus the black and white suit. yeah so i don't know it's um it, spider-man 3 does not hold up at all i mean it's still bad i yeah. remember seeing i remember being so excited midnight showing oshawa cinemas uh, cineplex and just watching that and 
even the first time watching it, just going, what? And the Franco memes. Watch. I mean, I think that's what a lot of people take away, oh, yeah. like the him eating the cake. And it's like, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Some of that's intentional. and like, uh, Oh, and, like... and, and uh, his butler is the worst, who's played oh, by Bill right. Paxton's and... dad. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that scene's kind of bad. It's got that, like, the Alfred Batman moment. Yeah. And then there's, like, He could have long... told him that, like, two movies oh, ago. No, It's like, <laughs> me and your father were... <laughs> I had to clean your father's wound. It was self-inflicted. Yeah. Thanks. Like, you saw me be an angsty fucking piece of shit the last, like, two movies. And I exposed myself to the now? same green gas as my dad, you jerk. I don't know. It's, um... It's... But you were saying it, it, it's kind of crazy that Sam Raimi hasn't directed a has only directed two right. movies in ten years. I mean, he's almost in director's jail. It feels like like uh, it's it's I I get that Oz wasn't a great movie, but I it mean, was a it, huge hit. Yeah, but again, so was Spider Man Three was a huge hit. Right, but they're both not great. I mean, Oz I think is fine. I'm not it's okay. really like I, I'm neither here nor there on it but then Mila Kunis is uh, awful in yeah. it <laughs> Drag Me to Hell is fantastic yeah. and um, it's just such a shame that he he keeps getting like attached to things I think I forget what he's been attached to even well, more he, recently he was also he's producing is and, Ghost House still a production yeah, company yeah like and they're again I if anyone who knows me knows that I talk about The Last of Us way too oh, you much you won't shut but, up about it um, but he optioned The Last of Us through Ghost House right Ghost House is that what it's called yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and he also he's produced some of Fede Alvarez's stuff obviously after the Evil Dead remake and, and don't and then he produced Don't Breathe um, and I don't think he's working on Dragon Tattoo or the sequel oh you know um, what he you know what the last thing that he was um, attached to or rumored to anyways is that he was going to do a movie with Ryan Reynolds about the Bermuda Triangle right and then there was also World War 3 which he was attached to which was based on some like um, predictions of what would happen if a third world war broke out like I think it's more of like a academic, so he's being uh, uh, Nostradamus all of a yeah, sudden yeah I don't know so uh, but e- both of those were announced in like I think 2015 and 16. Yeah, and, and then nothing be- has really moved forward. For that, he also was going to do um, a Denny, a Dennis Lehane adaptation, the guy who did uh, Shutter Island and uh, the Gone Baby Gone series, and that never. It's a shame, man. Like I, I he's obviously a, a talented guy, and I, I think if he finds the right script that has that balance of kind of campiness and and big and horror and, and big budget action i think um and you know always a role for bruce campbell yeah god love <laughs> bruce campbell so i loved all this stuff when he was going to play mysterio at the beginning of spider-man 4 that they were going to make and um, this is why we can't have nice things but now jake gyllenhaal is playing mysterio in the new spider-man well movie, jake gyllenhaal so. was gonna was up for for spider-man yeah so it's weird how that all kind of works out um but yeah that's what i've been watching and um kind of speaking of marvel stuff um today oh nice segue today the uh just as we were about to record uh entertainment weekly dropped a whole bunch of captain marvel news and images i originally thought this was going to be a trailer because uh last night um brie larson tweeted out that um hey ew are you ready to break the internet tomorrow at at noon and then uh it's more wreck it ralph news she's yeah. a big fan <laughs> yeah it's the wreck it ralph trailer four um or she plays a disney princess or captain marvel's a disney princess in it um that seems great which we saw last year that disney princess scene from wreck it ralph anyway yeah that that is something. going to be oh, yeah. huge yeah. when it comes huge uh i feel it, like that could get a spin-off 
in itself of just like the Disney princesses hanging out and doing yeah. something or something. I want like an Avengers style kind of like Disney animated movie where they all team up and have to. But I also kind of worry about that movie just because is it going to be like, you know, uh, exit through the Disney gift shop, the film kind of oh, thing? Oh, a hundred percent. But yeah. I mean, they're clever enough that I think this almost works better than the video game stuff that they had in, in the first movie. And um, I'm sure that'll still be a big part of it. But anyways, back to Captain Marvel. So we kind of looked quickly through the images. Yeah, um, you showed me Piccolo. I, yeah, the, <laughs> the scrolls do look like Piccolo. Um but yeah, there was images of the the villains, which are the scrolls. There's um, images of uh, Carol Danvers. Is her name right? I, I'm yeah, not yeah. Super familiar with Captain Marvel. Well, you're the stuff. comic book guy. I know, I'm but not. Captain Marvel was never someone that I was super. Um, well, I always get that in Shazam confused, right? Because right? yeah. they're both Mar- Captain Marvel. Yeah. yeah. Mar- yeah. And but he's DC, and yeah, yeah. It's, it's very weird. Um, and there's also a Ms. Marvel as well. Right, and, um, which I think they're going to do a, a, an eventual movie yeah, of yeah. that as well. Um, so the images look... I mean, there's not much to really go off of. But Other like, than Sam Jackson looking uh, 90s yeah. young again. Oh my god. <laughs> Marvel loves their de-aging technology because they just go to it over and over and over again, uh, which is kind of awesome. Yeah, so, but uh, to be fair with like Robert Downey Jr. in uh, Civil War, like it was... A holographic uh, sure. memory, like but it then was an in... Ant Man with um, oh Michael, Michael Douglas, yeah. yeah. And then... Although they dyed his hair as well, <laughs> right? And then uh, with Kurt Russell in, yeah. in Guardians, I mean, that well, was, hey, again, he says that that was all him, all makeup, yeah. yeah. Which again, but they love kind of making it's a weird nostalgic thing too, right? Because right. when you see Sam Jackson looking like he did in Jurassic Park, or you mentioned in. Um, What's the movie? Oh, mentioned? Deep Blue Sea. Except he, yeah. in that he's a little bit grayer in, yeah. the, in the goatee and in the hair. Yeah. So I think that's kind of fun, and I'll like to see what um, uh, Phil Coulson looks like too. I hope he has like a sweet ponytail or something. <laughs> and like uh, they didn't, there was no shots of Phil Coulson in it. But it's it's fun to see him back too. And then there were some images with uh, Ronan the is it Ronan the Accuser? I think Ronan, it is Ronan the Accuser. Yeah. Right. Um, he's. Uh, gonna be one of the villains in the movie you might know him as um uh lee pace who who was in guardians of the galaxy he was the main villain in, in that movie um yeah he's not a he wasn't great in that I, movie so it's interesting that they're bringing him back can i it seems can, like just for a second just yeah, for a second yeah. okay so from those photos and from you know we're seeing ronan the accuser is working with captain marvel and it's almost like a green lantern-esque you know maybe like space police or something like yeah. that which was like the Nova Corps kind of, or like uh, something like that. I'm worried that this might end up like Green Lantern, where well, even the shots of her in the fighter jet kind of remind me of Green Lantern. <laughs> Reminds me of Top Gun a little bit as well, but yeah. Um, well, obviously, yeah. She's going right into the danger zone. Uh, but to me, I have this weird feeling that they're gonna have like a final shot of like. Unless they decide to incorporate it into the plot, that uh, Ronan will turn near the end of the movie. So you of... think he's working with her? Yeah. The beginning. Yeah, and I think it's going to be like Sinestro in in Green Lantern, right. where Mark uh, uh, Strong, who's mm-hmm. in uh, the the new Shazam movie, <laughs> <laughs> and Jamon Hanzu's in Shazam as well. He plays the Wizard. Oh yeah. So it's all fucked up and weird. Yeah. <laughs> so like I have a Hard feeling in the track. last like ten minutes of the movie, like we'll see like a double cross or a heel turn you know for well, wrestling fans then, yeah whatever something will happen kind of like in the first captain america movie where she either has to go into hiding or or 
leave for a long time, right? right? Or something. Or the twist is that they and were we, always the bad guys. And we see another photo with Jaiman Hansu's character, which I forget his name from Guardians. Um, but he he seems to be on this kind of space police team with with yeah. um, Captain Marvel. And, God, that would be great if it was um, called Space Police. <laughs> yeah. And it does have a, a big Guardians vibe to it, at least from the photos with the kind of cosmic thing, which is something we've heard that marvel is going to kind of dive even deeper into but now with the other guardian stuff happening who knows but well maybe that will this will be the the substitute until they figure out what to do with guardians and then i still think they'll end up doing as guardians of the galaxy with taika but if taika wants to do it the other rumor was that he took another meeting with marvel recently and i i don't doubt that that's who they're trying to get to take over for guardians but um yeah, you can see that they're moving more into space, and we even saw that in Infinity War with Iron Man and Spider-Man going to um, Thanos' planet and, and, and things like that. Well, even and, Doctor Strange, too. Yeah. I mean, it was more psychedelic and, and yeah. what have you, but there was interdimensional time travel and, and what have you. So, yeah, like it seems like we're going to go beyond uh, our universe and into other universes, and it's going to kind of be like almost like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. Well, speaking um, of Star Wars... Ryan Johnson. Man, we're killing it with the segues today, man. Yeah. So uh, this week it was announced that uh, Ryan Johnson has uh, written his next film and he's looking for a producing partner or a distributor. I yeah. think he's producing it under a new company that he's founding with uh, Ram Bergman, who is his producing partner, who's produced all of his films. Uh, the film is called Knives Out and it's going to be kind of an Agatha Christie style murder mystery. Yeah, like he, like um, Dan, uh, Daniel Craig, it, yeah. it's 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 a TIFF package, so you're going to hear a lot in the next couple of weeks of, of them of kind of a bidding war. Bidding war, but not just just this film, but other movies being proposed for financing and distribution. And so Daniel Craig is going to be playing kind of like a Perot kind of type character. Um, and it's not a spin-off of Scott Pilgrim in any way. Um, and and what I like about this is that it shows you that there's a window of opportunity here that Ryan Johnson has to go and make this small indie film before he, you know, takes uh, flight into the Star Wars universe for right. the next five to ten oh, years. Yeah. Because a lot of people, or at least in, the, in that... Um, initial press release it was saying that it's kind of him going back to brick in that kind of small scale uh production but i bet any actor writer producer will want to work with him on this so he's gonna have all the tools available yeah it sounds awesome like i mean uh i love that he has this love for agatha christie and he's like i've been wanting to do this for a long time i've had this idea of kind of doing this style of movie and and an opportunity knock with um which we talked about on the first episode uh bond kind of getting postponed because of danny boyle dropping out so uh, Daniel Craig had an opening that he was originally supposed to be shooting Bond in November, but now it seems like they're ramping this up really quickly for a quick start in November. Um, and it seems like it's going to be a smaller movie and a shorter shoot. Yeah. I think it's like a single location kind of... Well, kind of like, like what he uh, did with the Breaking Bad episode. Yes, so I've heard it's like... From what I understand, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think it is going to that... He said it was like that locked doors kind of mansion murder mystery kind of... Uh, kind of thing and so clue and yeah basically <laughs> and that sounds awesome so I'm, I'm i mean I, I i'm glad that after everything that happened with last jedi which is a phenomenal movie and a great star wars movie but kind of the shit he went through afterwards right of people kind of um i i don't I understand why he might want to go do something different and before he does and not and, just uh, him as well like yeah. kelly marie tran as well yeah. like i mean 
people need to get a life. I know they do. It's just it, they're just movies. Like yeah. it, if you didn't like it, move on. Twenty like, years from now, this uh, Last Jedi will be heralded as a masterpiece. I hope so, because uh, I loved it, and um, and I think yeah, some of the shit that the cast and the crew has gone through. Uh, because of the divisiveness of that movie, yeah. um, grow up. And- you know what? Grow up <laughs> to those people because they're trying to do something different and 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 make the experience even more fulfilling and trying something new. Like I know people are afraid of change, but change can be a good thing. Yeah, and, and you even need if it, that series and, to change, and even if you don't like it, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, like you can just you have your kinda, fan fiction. You can kind of just um, move on. Yeah. Like, you can, if you don't like something, I'm like, there's tons of other Star Wars stuff that will be coming out and has come out, and it doesn't ruin the series for you if you didn't like one movie or some of the Yeah, that's already the prequels. So it's cool that he kind of was like, okay, um, uh, he, he he wrote this script before he, he's also working on his next Star Wars trilogy, which is going to have nothing to do with the Skywalker saga, and then he's going to do this quick shoot um, in November for this movie, and they're pitching it to studios at uh, TIFF. Yeah, um, right now, and I gotta so. and I gotta hand it to Daniel Craig as well. Like outside of the Bond movies, like he does take some interesting risks. I mean, you look at uh, Logan Lucky, where like you know he had that time to go and shoot that, or, or even you know working with Fincher for uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. What's that? Sorry. Oh, I was I talking about how Daniel Craig <laughs> makes uh, interesting choices outside of the Bond movies, and yes. you know lending himself to this, like uh, Soderbergh uh, for Logan Lucky or David Fincher for The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, shows that he's interested in after you know finishing this Bond movie, whenever it will get yeah. done, that he's going to go and pick interesting movies and filmmakers to work with. That's good because yeah, he has kind of um, been doing the Bond thing for a while, and he. Although he does go outside of that sometimes, it yeah. feels like that... Uh, when he can, because, yeah. I mean, he's obviously, you know, contractually obligated to do those movies. So that's good that he'll be able to kind of do that, too. So, yeah, really looking forward to that. I'm, sounds awesome. I, um, yeah. uh, I will probably end up... It could be, like, a late next year if he's already shooting it in November. And it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's um, maybe festivals next year like he did with Brothers Bloom and, and, and right. things like that. Which I think is the last movie he had, Play Tiff. Um, yeah, well, he, or no Looper? No Looper. Yeah, Looper open <laughs> Tiff. <laughs> wow, Oops. we. So yes, we if, already have Tiff brain. <laughs> if he if he finishes it by next year, I uh, next festival, I don't doubt that that could be a, a festival 2019 movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Fuck. I forgot Looper. That was yeah. Okay. That was a really. I, yeah, I, I, that I was a Looper, great but... opening choice for yeah, the festival. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm okay with that. All right. You want to get into some? Uh, do you want to go? peppermint first well matt uh, i think we need i think we need to take some uh some mints and uh you know clear our bad breath and and talk a little bit about the jennifer garner uh action thriller vigilante film title. yes let's go straight into peppermint eric uh do you want to tell people what peppermint's about do i have to <laughs> Do I have to, Matt? Unfortunately. Why? Why? Okay, so to quickly sum this up, if you've seen one revenge movie in in the vein of Taken, you've seen them all. This is from the director of the Taken of the first Taken movie, uh, Pierre Morel, because he has not directed any uh, sequels in the franchise because he says that he wants to be original. Yet he's also directed uh, from Paris with Love, and you know, like it, it feels like he's just repeating himself one after 
gunmen, which the is gunmen, essentially which taken. Is, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the surprise being it's like, oh, see this actor in an action movie role. But the problem here is that Jennifer Garner started her career as an action movie kind of star on TV with Alias. With Alias. So we're not surprised that she can, you know, take care of business and, and, and you know, handle herself against, you know, tons of gunmen trying to kill her. Right. And, I mean, we haven't seen her in an action franchise or TV show or movie probably since The Kingdom. Yeah, it was the Peter Berg movie. Yeah, yeah. in 2007, yeah. which is over 10 years ago. So it's was, been a while to yeah. quote, quote Stained. And to kind of summarize what the movie's about is, it's yeah, it's a revenge kind of fantasy with a, a soccer mom whose who's husband and, and, and daughter kind of gets murdered by a drive-by, in a drive-by shooting yeah. by some... Uh, uh, gang bangers, and then she ends up disappearing for five years, and and comes back and and seeks revenge on them. That's the shortest possible summary I could do. <laughs> yeah, and then you have you know subplots involving uh, corruption within the justice system and in the police force. Everything uh, you'd expect in that. Yeah, kind of... yeah. She's she's living on Skid Row in Los Angeles, kind of helping the community there and keeping them safe as well. All the while, you know, she's taking out one villain after the next that were responsible for that shooting um and to me like it just feels like a run-of-the-mill uh vigilante movie uh the action is parsed out in a very generic fashion it's also strangely xenophobic in the way that it treats the latin community i mean there's one sequence that takes place in a pinata warehouse and you're just like really we're going there and it tonally there's some really weird moments that play almost like they're parodies of this genre. There's one scene where Jennifer Garner's character, Riley North, I don't know who comes up with this as a name, um, realizes that these characters are going to get away with murder, essentially, and she freaks out and she's wearing a wig after uh, being in a coma <laughs> for a little while, and then they actually taser her in the courthouse. And you're like, what movie is this? Like, It's almost like a Three Stooges slapstick routine. Yeah, and as you mentioned, kind of the subtly not even subtly but some of the racist stuff throughout where it's like a a middle class like white woman who who seeks revenge on kind of yeah like you said this um hispanic kind of cartel yeah um well that's the other thing it's it's so lazy yeah it's it's like we'll make the villains the cartel yeah every stereotype and kind of thing you and it throws all of that at you and it just feels like it's just so I hate using this term all the time, but it's almost like a paint-by-numbers kind of thing. And I, I say this so often because there's so many movies that just do this that I just do, it just doesn't even feel like anyone's trying. It's like you're not trying to do anything unique here. And I, again, you say it's just derivative of, of other movies he's done. And yeah. it's not even like it was – I remember seeing Taken, which also isn't a great movie. No. But, um, but at least, I mean, it was very successful, I think, because of its action sequences. And, and I feel Liam like Neeson being an unsuspecting action badass. star. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I feel like that just doesn't translate over here with Jennifer Garner based on what you talked about before where we've seen her kind of do some stuff like this before. But also in Taken, I just felt like the action sequences uh, were very kinetic and very hard-hitting and... and, and um, and you can see that kind of style that's been imitated in Marvel movies and other kind of things um, in the last 10 years or so with the very kind of very choreographed but very kind of brutal looking action sequences where it's just like a master taking down 
a bunch of idiots and um i just feel like this movie doesn't have a good balance of either showing her as um a clumsy kind of killer or an expert killer right like, i i would have almost appreciated it more if she goes away and she kind of comes back but she's kind of shitty at what she does where she kind of like fumbles around and just like kind of lucks out and like brutally has to kill these people because she doesn't really know what she's doing but they almost want you to think that she's like an expert now but i feel like in the action sequences that are kind of like riddled with these kind of really ugly looking slow motion kind of like um elements throughout them and then like um she kind of looks like she's good at it but also not good at it so she's just kind of middle of the road and then she ends up killing everyone with ease but it doesn't even look like like with Liam Neeson and Taken that he is an expert at what he does. Well, there's takes... a backstory yeah. to that where this the, the backstory is that after the the tragic events she becomes she, a UFC she, fighter. Yeah, 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 there's there's MMA YouTube footage in an FBI uh, uh, office space and they talk about like how she's been studying abroad and picking fights and honing her skills to to have this moment of revenge and that's literally it where you know, you know Liam Neeson's character is written to be a CIA agent or Jackie Chan used to work for Black Ops in The Foreigner. So th- th- there's 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 at least backstory to how they're combat ready where this it's just like, yeah, she just, you know, five years. Learned how to fight and Learned, shoot yeah, a gun. Yeah. Which I'm fine with if you would have shown me an interesting way of, of, of her coming back and utilizing that because what it ends up being is just someone who's very good but almost not that great to the point where you're just like how is she doing this because she seems like she's doing it very easily but it doesn't seem like she's very good at what she's right. doing and, like, and and it does show a little bit of her like you know patching herself up and stuff like that but not to the extent of where like you would think that the damage that she inflicts she would get 10 times back because she's very sloppy that's what i mean so that would have been more interesting if she gets like fucking brutalized throughout this like and she's just like not very good but she just kind of squeaks it like squeaks it out and, and kills these people but like it's just to me and i've used it just felt like playing a video game on easy mode kind of thing where you're just like one shot, the guy's down one shot, the guy's down and it's not even like interesting to watch. Like it's just, and I think that's the biggest problem because sure it's a, what I said before, a paint by numbers kind of like revenge action thriller, but with every stereotype and every cliche ridden twist you can imagine thrown into it. And I don't know. It just it, it just ends up being kind of bland and well, even the cops. Like, yeah. they're so incompetent and, and even unable the, the one-liners to... they have are just like things you've heard a zillion times before, and it's just kind of yeah. And no one, yeah, it's just... John Gallagher Jr. and yeah. uh, John Ortiz are the two detectives on and the case. And even the way that and... they kind of make you think John, like this isn't really a spoiler, but they make you think John Ortiz's character is in on it because he's the Hispanic detective is just kind of like uh yeah it's it's questionable and 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 john ortiz i mean i i love the guy i mean you know anytime he pops up he's always great but here he's given nothing to do and same thing with john gallagher jr like you know he can be really quite good in stuff like short term 12 and 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 10 cloverfield lane anything with a number in the title um but with this it just feels like again like even just you know his mustache kind of gives you a hint of where that character is going the sleaziness of him um and and the thing that i laughed at the most is that the movie doesn't it's not making a direct social commentary but you can tell that it's 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 showing 
you know, what homelessness is like in L.A. And, like, there's this mural uh, on a wall of her as an avenging angel. And you're just like, give me a break. And how – she wasn't even back for that long. No. Was she? Like, who painted that? I have no idea. (laughs) Like, that's really impressive for someone who's been back for, like, a a week or something. And, like, that's that's the stuff. Like, I, 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 if you guys want to read my review, it's up on intheseats.ca. And, and Eric, you did a review for Rogers TV. Yeah. Um, I didn't even really mention the Skid Row stuff because I feel like it's just it just but there. it plays like it, it plays even... hard into it in the third act, especially yeah. when like one you know young girl is held hostage and we right. don't have any emotional attachment to her, and it plays it as like we've known this character o- through yeah, the whole film. Yeah, it kind film. of glosses over all the Skid Row stuff. Yeah, like, and that's why I barely mentioned it because it's so forgettable that it's just like a why I don't know. It's just. August is a weird time. Man. Well, it's September, but yeah. Well, yeah, I yeah. know, but... It, oh, sorry, yeah, I guess beginning in September, but still. Um, yeah. Nonetheless, late summer is usually um, a dumping ground, and this is kind of um, uh, adding to that. Yeah, one of those generic action movies that you'd probably see, you know, on Netflix when you're flipping through and just be like, oh, hey, There's Jennifer There's wrong with those sometimes, but, like, again, like, I'm... I'm a Taken apologist in the sense that, like, I enjoy the first Taken movie. The second and third one are truly awful. Right. Well, um, all three of them are, in an extent, Euro trash in terms of, like, yeah. the, the, the style of cinema. But at least the first one and even, like, uh, you know, like, films like that kind of work because you're enjoying either the performance. And, and a lot of people didn't, you know, see Darkman and, and know that Liam Neeson can sort of take on these people or even you know you look at the stuff with jason statham with the uh, uh the transporter movies mm-hmm. like i mean i i'm kind of, i kind of have a soft spot for them because they're just ridiculous and over the top and yeah. like anytime you see and statham get greased up it's yeah, ridiculous even for me like uh with olympus has fallen and things like that with which is Butler, funny because like... london has fallen was yeah. written by the same guy who wrote peppermint uh chad st john and Filled with stereotypes and as well, xenophobia, right? and and you know, culturally insensitive for the point of making you know an action pun or a set piece work, and it's fear mongering. Yeah. You know, feel it kind of does feel like a Trump era uh, action movie. And I did mention that in my review is just that like they're playing on those insecurities or those kind of fears of ignorance. Yeah, of of the American population of like with everything that's going on with the with um ice and and immigration in the u.s and things like that and then they play into this bullshit by having these incredibly stereotyped kind of like villain roles and it's just kind of gross and and it's just weird lately like i know we talked about uh, even in in happy time murders and, and and things like that too of like these things that i just feel like really tone deaf yeah. Like, how is this in, in today's day and age in 2018? And I know these movies were probably shot two years ago or, or a year and a half ago, but or written even before that. But it's just, it's bizarre. I don't know. Like, it's just, I don't understand, like, how you can keep, like, I get when we were, like, these movies were first starting to be made. And, yes, you have these kind of, like, roles that, um, I don't know, man. Like, it's just, eh, ugh. Yeah. It's, it's bad. It's... Not worth your time, and nope. if you do really want to see it, just wait till it's available to stream. Yeah, don't get me wrong; I can understand if you just like need something mindless and you want to pop it on if it's on streaming services. But I would even suggest don't even do that. Just no. find something else that's a, a little bit more um, exciting or interesting. 
So, yeah, it's not very good, but if you want to uh, see our reviews or uh, read our reviews, uh, mine is available, as I mentioned, on intheseats.ca, and Eric's is on rogers.tv, rogers.com, no, rogerstv.com slash cinemascene. You got there it. There we go. Third time's a charm. All right, you want to talk about some TIFF stuff? Some yeah, let's, let's, let's TIFF it up. So, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Eric and I have been uh, kind of pre-screening some TIFF films. Uh, yes, yeah, it's mid-August. Yeah. We so. haven't seen mid-90s, though. So no. We can't, so. we can't do the mid there. No, no, no. So, uh, we're going to talk about some of the things we've seen. Not go too, too into detail. Just kind of give our first impressions of yeah. what we thought about some of these movies. I, I know most of the... My my stuff will be uh, in capsule review form on in the seats. Um, yours, you're kind of holding off for coverage when the movies come out. Yeah, and also we'll be doing a uh, wrap up. wrap up episode of Cinema Scene once yes. the festival is over with... and after on this podcast. Yeah, well. yeah. So our you know picks are our top picks are are our most hated, if you will. Um, so it'll it'll be fun. Yeah, like it's it's we're still. At the beginning of the festival, and we've only seen a handful of stuff. Now, I have to ask you, like, how do you feel, you know, coming back to 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 do this as a freelancer? Do you feel that you've had a chance to see a lot of stuff? Because there's been this conversation that some studios have been holding back movies that played at Sundance or Cannes that they're not pre-screening for Canadian press beforehand. Mm-hmm. I mean... To me, I always think it's um, an added benefit if we have access to these things before the festival, and I never expect it, essentially, is right. how I kind of take it. So I don't think that the studios or the PR people really owe us no. anything. Um, and if they want to hold a movie and say, no, you need to either – we're already doing numerous P&I screenings and premieres that we can get you access to, then, um, and we're not screening it. For Canadian press beforehand I kind of get that just in the sense that like I know that there's a big contingent of press that cover the festival here but it's not like most of those people don't have access at at P&I screenings during the fest so um, it's an added benefit to be able to see some of this stuff beforehand and I know it does feel lighter than than other years but uh, it seems like a lot of the big titles are from big studios and that they're just holding off for a true world premiere right. or for the P&I screenings. And I get what you're saying with the Sundance and Cannes stuff and, and those have already screened at places. So why kind of hide them from us? Like you might as well just kind of – but again, it's a busy time and there's only so many people that work at these studios in Canada. They're very small compared to the, the U.S. side of things and, and you can only – screen so much and and it's expensive to rent out oh you god know, yeah uh, theater space and as especially well. with this year with varsity having a lot of um construction, uh, construction yeah. and there's no access to screening um uh to cinemas there during the day because of all the construction that's going on you see a lot of the press screenings moving towards young and dundas and, and scotia bank yeah, or the light box or at uh, the studio's headquarters right? yeah if they have them yeah with like with e1 which is a very small screening space right, right? so I just have a feeling it's times are changing too, right? And I feel like with press as well, like um, some studios are realizing that with the the digital age and 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 people being able to um, give their impressions right away online and different things like that, you don't need to necessarily just like how film changed from film to digital. 
it's almost the same when you had to give access to people because they had to meet deadlines to be printed in magazines or newspapers or, or different things like that. But now it expedites the process. You don't need and it's to do that. Like you can tweet right away or me and you can record a podcast the seconds after we, we see something and put it up there or, or a, B or C can put up on their website right away. Right. So I feel like, they're like, no, you, I mean, you can go see it during the festival. And, and I mean, they did give us access to a lot of films. And, and again, I, I only saw four things pre-festival. And I think you saw a little bit more than that. I, I saw eight. Eight. Yeah. And, and, um, but I just felt that, and, and again, like, I totally agree with you. Like, the studios or the PR teams don't owe, owe us anything. Like, it's just nice to be invited, and, and, and we always appreciate that. But it's just, it's just weird how much lighter it has felt this year in terms of uh early screenings because i don't know we'll see like um but a lot of the movies uh have screened at other festivals yeah and even with venice and telluride that are just kind of finishing up um a lot of those movies played um played there and had great reviews so it's interesting that they're holding off on a lot of this stuff until the P- the actual pni screenings or the premieres um so yeah i don't know i'm okay with it i mean i saw a good chunk of stuff and we still had access to some big movies i mean you saw if beale street could talk you saw destroyer destroyer and 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 sisters brothers which are are three big titles at the festival this year. all annapurna in the u.s Um, oh really yeah okay are they all the same studio here no uh e1 and elevation uh pictures Yeah. yeah okay and then a lot of my stuff was either um some canadian titles um or uh Excuse me, or a, a doc and then Assassination Nation. So, right, <laughs> which played, um, which was through D Films, Mongrel Media, and Elevation Pictures. Yes, yeah, so you see when the smaller Canadian studios pick things up, they usually screen them. Yeah, um, yeah, because they want they they want to build buzz before the festival begins, so people will have this interest in going into seeing it and it and it builds that momentum going in so you know something like free solo where maybe not a lot of people know about you know if they read your capsule review and say hey you you kind of enjoyed this it's like oh well maybe now i'll put this on my 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 list to watch Mm -hmm. yes uh so where do you want to kick it off you want to kick it off with assassination nation we should because we both saw this movie i think it's the only thing we both saw uh together uh sitting next to each other in cinema 15 uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, it's probably the one film I've loathed uh, the <laughs> yeah. most so far. Um, I hate to kick it off on like a I very know, negative I know. And, and note, I kind of but... like the idea of having a, you know, completely all out there kind of movie that's an exploitation exploitation uh, movie. I sound like I'm from the 30s. Um, that kind of plays into uh, contemporary society, but this film throws it all at you and it takes place in salem and there's a hex or a hacking if you will and uh, all of our information is, is exposed and it turns us all into ravenous angry mobsters that will lynch and hang people just based on you know suspecting if they're a quote-unquote digital witch mm-hmm so yeah, uh, a quick synopsis on that, as Eric just mentioned, is that uh, the film takes place in the town of Salem in Massachusetts, um, yep. and then uh, yeah, and I, the concept being that the town suffers from a uh, large-scale hack where 
I think over half of the population of the entire town, their digital lives are put onto the internet, all their private information, all their texts, all their search history, everything about them, all their photos, everything gets put online, which kind of sends everyone into a tizzy because... It turns uh, people against each other. Yeah, because you kind of, out of context, are are viewing people's digital lives, which you might not get the full story there, and there might be some things that are perceived to be bad that aren't necessarily supposed to be. Or that there way, might be or, stuff that's hurtful, yeah. and, and or you know, but there's a, there's a politician the pro- character that hides right. certain secrets that is you know very hypocritical, and and they make a kind of connection to like you know Mike Pence in a, in, a, in a way. Yeah. Where I felt anyways. Um, totally. Yeah, and 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 again, like if. It, feels like it's throwing everything at you including the kitchen sink and at the beginning of the movie there's this list of trigger warnings that it's going to go through the entire movie that will shock and offend you and it's saying everything but nothing at all yeah it's exactly correct like the movie starts off with a narration from the lead character um lily played by odessa uh, young who was in uh the daughter uh, that played at tiff a couple years ago that i highly recommend that one um and matt actually you in your review uh, on, on In the Seats summed it up perfectly. I, I think you should uh, say kind of like that kind of that summary. Yeah, I mean, I'm just echoing what you, what you just said. And, and I, I couldn't believe that it literally lists everything that you're going to see in the movie and says nothing about it at all, which you said. And I, I just couldn't – I the movie <laughs> – I just don't even know what to say about this thing because I hated it so much. Right, and I gotta pull up my like I gotta pull up my notes. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say this as well. So Sam Levinson, who's the writer director, is the right. son of Barry Levinson. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, watching this movie, the the point of view of this film is coming from a privileged cisgender male right. who, after having seen this, has the maturity level of a a, a 14 year old. And to me, he makes the Purge movies look like they're philosophical studies on <laughs> yeah. human nature there you go you can you summed it up way better than i just yeah did. And, and and to me the, the the purge movies aren't great especially because i mean they're they're very on the nose as well but at least they're self-aware enough to enjoy the the rigors of it where this I, I, again feels like it's trying to be more important and, and and of the moment and it's not right and it's very surface level oh which is totally. just like again when he lists those things and and throws all of that at you it doesn't choose one thing and s- says i'm going to say something about this it literally goes hey all that garbage stuff you see in society right now or on the internet right now or in 2018 i'm gonna reference it and do nothing else with it right like it just as long as we just mention it and yeah and, 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 and a tick, tick box, off a box. Yeah, yeah right exactly it and um i mean this is a very loaded sentence but what how i described it sorry when i you, like this sentence when you, when you tossed this up to me i was like wait what the fuck did i say again and i i remember taking notes right after the movie and to me it just felt like a uh, a bad black mirror episode that was adapted by a horrible 4chan thread directed by Eli Roth with the subtlety of a Magic Kingdom fire, fireworks show. And I mean, if you've been to Disney World, you see how incre- incredibly unsubtle a Magic Kingdom fireworks show is. And that's what this movie is. There's no subtlety. There's there's nothing to it. It's it's just like a bunch of horrible garbage that's, that's happening on s- screen that's intentionally sensationalized. Uh, to kind of go see, I, I'm doing this on purpose. I I know that I'm I'm see I'm I'm making this so 
over the top and so ridiculous that it's supposed to be impactful because that's not how it's not that different to what right. it actually it's is. Satire. It's like, well, it's not. It's not, it's like see how ridiculous this seems on in this movie. Well, that's happening right now, and yeah. you're like, I get it. Like I understand. Like you're not, you're not being surprising at all. You're just literally telling me everything I already know by just going on the internet for a few minutes like we see these horrible things and when the fappening happened when they <laughs> leaked all the the celebrity images it's it's horrible stuff and like you and and it not horrible on on jennifer lawrence's part or anyone who was uh, attacked on that situation and it's not horrible that um maybe someone went to look at that stuff or maybe i've uh, uh, someone you know has um talked about you but in a private um, text conversation or maybe you've you've watched some kinky shit on Pornhub like it's just like but the thing is that's an interesting concept when you take that and go what would happen to an entire town if you weaponized if it you, if you if you took all their most private moments from what they live on their computers and their cell phones and put that online and people are able to access that out of context and in a post Snowden society. Yeah. And I mean, people attacked Jennifer Lawrence after that when she did nothing wrong. She just took some photos that were supposed to be very private. Yeah, Those were for her and 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 whoever she wanted to share those with. Right. And gave consent to go view those things. And I feel like when that's an that's a fascinating thing, and he has like a nugget there that could have been really interesting, and with a a better I, I hate shit talking, but like a better filmmaker could have taken that and and done something interesting with it. But when you're just like, oh, I'm just gonna list off things that are that happen, and, and to me, just, this is like a vice headline, just, and that's yeah. all it is. And then and and then just shows you that, and and turns it into like you said, like um, the third act becomes a little bit more uh, of that. And even the witch hunt stuff is just very on the nose to the point where it doesn't even feel clever. Like unless like I, he's not, he almost wants to be more clever than he is throughout the whole movie. Um, Levinson and and it just doesn't work right and I just feel like it's it's so shitty because I I do like that concept of being like what happens if someone copied all of our digital lives and put them out there and anyone had access to it and I mean some people are getting like the principal at the school is getting attacked for for things that probably were taken very wrongly like and he didn't mean or he's he's a principal but he was talking about some of his students or some of the parents of the students and things like that these are private conversations he's having that doesn't necessarily make him a bad person and everyone makes mistakes or everyone does things that aren't necessarily no one's perfect right Right. and especially with age as well i mean when you're younger you do and say stupid things as well and and those things you don't necessarily mean in a, in a in a long-term sense you're you're not fully aware and 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 grown up and at some that of these point. people are teenagers yeah like their their stuff are leaked and and things like that and horrible things happen and I, I i just feel like there was so much potential there that just ended up kind of just i gotta stop come. watching movies with bella thorne yeah right <laughs> don't watch the babysitter on netflix oh boy um, yeah, it just ends up being, and like the music choices are really obnoxious. There's yeah. one piece of score, if I'm going to compliment anything in this movie, that I actually kind of liked that they use throughout. Um, it's just kind of this kind of um, synthy kind of beat that that happens throughout it, but it's a lot of slow motion walking and, and pop songs and and the and, split screen stuff oh, is yeah, that really Brian tedious. Kind of um, split screen garbage is yeah is, during party sequences. Mm-hmm. I, I I need a new Harmony Corinne movie. 
on the right. double. And then again, like um, with something like Spring Breakers, which I feel like is kind of satirizing um, kinda, this lifestyle yeah. that that kind of like spring break teenagers baked uh, lifestyle that's kind of absurd. But the way that he you know gazes upon and modern it is, culture, yeah, too, right? is artfully like, done in almost in a Terrence Malick kind of way. Yeah, where this is, yeah, it just. Very pain that sirens on our end. Yeah, it's Assassination Nation. It's begun, people. Um, yeah. the, uh, you could you could literally call this movie Salem's Login. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would have been even less subtle, but also um, equally as terrible. But, yeah, yeah. I was. I mean, me and you um, hated it, and I just. I think there's nothing of value there, and I just feel like it, it's squandered potential that. Um, an interesting concept that I was sort of excited to watch that could have been fun even. Like, right. And it's just not. Like, yeah. It's just, meh. But I hope, I mean, like, if we ever have a guest on the show and if they really like the movie and they want to discuss the merits of it, and, and please do, because we, we would like to hear what we're missing maybe or what we're not <laughs> understanding. Yeah. So that was the one thing that we both saw that I would say um, maybe stay away from. I'm curious to see what the Midnight Madness crowd will think. Yeah, because um, it doesn't feel necessarily like... Like it doesn't. It's pick a blood until, and guts yeah, until the type end. of movie. Yeah, like it is still an exploitation film, but it it doesn't feel, you know, like it's it's eager like nothing from feels the very that be- shocking. Either, no, no, right? no. It like, doesn't. It's not eager from the beginning to kind of induce the blood and guts or the kind of uh, schlocky kind of stuff until the last act of the movie, really, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, yeah. And and yeah, so it, it will be curious because I mean, it did okay at Sundance. It, it, people seem to really like it there. Um, but yeah, sorry, knows? I just shrugged my shoulders. I, I know. know. <laughs> it just, it was, yeah, not great. Uh, where do you want to go from here? I don't know. What, what, what do you, what do you want to talk about? Do you want to maybe I? Do you want to go back and forth? Do you want me to sure. quickly go through mine and then you? Let's do back and forth because I feel okay. like we could talk to each other about right. it and, and and sort of add to the conversation. All right. So on a more positive note, um, I I've screened a lot over the. I feel like I hate. I also hate hating movies too right right? like it's not fun it doesn't make reviewing them fun it doesn't like i don't love ripping apart things because i genuinely go into most things wanting to enjoy it like i I don't even go into anything going i'm gonna hate this or this is gonna be terrible but um i feel like i've been on a a bad kind of string of movies for the stuff i've been reviewing for in the seats and then stuff we've talked about lately although we both did like searching last week a lot but um even some of the tiff stuff which i'll get into in a little bit i i haven't loved but something i did enjoy was uh free solo um not to be confused with a solo behind the scenes documentary um (laughs) Uh, which is a, a National Geographic documentary that's playing the festival um, about uh, Alex uh, Hamold, who is a uh, rock climber in, in the U.S., who is uh, essentially it follows his journey of trying to be the first person to free solo um, the El Capitan wall in Yosemite. Um, and if you don't know what free soloing is, it's, it's rock climbing without, um, any safety gear or harness. You're just kind of remember Tom Cruise at the beginning of Mission Impossible 2. How dare <laughs> you bring that movie he's, up? Or, uh, he's free soloing at, uh, on, I think he doesn't have a harness or anything. <laughs> no, no, no. But um, then Metallica plays. Is Metallica yeah, playing this no, one? No, no Metallica in, in this movie. I don't think so, but... Um, but yeah, it, it kind of follows his journey of, um, 
and his history and and kind of his preparation for this big climb to become the first human ever to free solo um this 3000 foot wall essentially uh this rock wall and um i really liked it man i think it's um it's it's beautifully shot i almost wish it was in imax or something like that and i think if you go see this on like the biggest screen you possibly can it's going to be absolutely thrilling but um it starts off a little rough because i feel like you should have said rocky oh yeah i know damn it (laughs) (laughs) um starts off a bit rocky um when you're following alex i just i couldn't at first he's just really hard to cheer for and hard to like how so Um, just in the sense that he kind of seems like I always I in, in my review I also mentioned that he he has this kind of cockiness or this ego that's sort of like um like a Michael Phelps type like Olympian like I'm the best kind of thing but then he's also so emotionless like like emotionless like that he just He's deadpan and he's almost like I, I <laughs> this isn't the nicest thing to say, but I said almost like sociopathic in the sense that he's like literally cares about himself and climbing this wall. Do you think it's, it's just maybe partly hard. because of his focus? Yeah, I think so. And I don't think and at first I was really turned off by that, by the way he kind of treats women or talks about women. And then as the film goes on and he gets a girlfriend, how he kind of treats her sometimes. And he's very hard to kind of um, grasp or 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 let in or or show his emotion at all so i kind of feel for his girlfriend throughout and he's right. always like no rock climbing's first she's second like i can never really have a good relationship because of this and he just and they make jokes throughout the movie that he's kind of like spock in the sense that he's just like he he's just deadpan right and like i just found like he seemed arrogant and kind of an asshole at the beginning but then as the movie goes on like you you start to warm up to him and and kind of and understand what he's kind of going through and you realize that maybe he has depression or um he just he really kind of has an issue kind of opening up and showing his emotions and and you can really tell that he does really care about this one thing and he almost needs to conquer it to kind of open up and and start to kind of have a normal life or open up to his girlfriend or open up to people in general. Or realize there's more to life than just this one thing. Right. Exactly. And there are a couple moments in the movie where he does show emotion or, and there are jokes about the Spock thing in there of like, um, on his first attempt to climb the wall and different things like that. And, and, um, I think you start to warm up to him as the movie goes on. And I think it does a really good job of kind of pacing, um, uh, the movie and, and kind of building up to a epic kind of climax of him conquering this wall. And um, should have said cliffhanger. <laughs> there's no cliffhanger, but like um, it, it just does a really good job of kind of showing his preparation and, and kind of his struggles through that and the people who help him out and the other people who have failed and, and, and who have, have gone, who were big free solo uh, rock climbers and died or hurt themselves and things like that and I, I think it does a really good job of giving you all the pieces so when he's doing that final kind of ascent um it's like re- like you know exactly what's happening and it's it's just your palms will be sweaty and you'll just be kind of like re- like it's it's crazy that this guy is doing this and, and you feel and, the anxiety yeah, in the way that do. that's and, shot and, and, yeah and I, I they do a really cool job at like um 
they can't distract him because it's like they don't want like a zillion people around him as he's climbing up at the end so they have to like strategically kind of because they know the exact route that he's going to take so they kind of strategically put the cameras and have to kind of radio uh uh remote control them and um they're watching from afar so one director's at the top one of the cinematographers at the bottom and they no one can watch everyone's just like kind of turned away and you almost kind of you just feel that even though you know like I, i i didn't know the story so i didn't know what was going to happen but i i mean you 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 can kind of know what's going to happen. He's not anyways, but, um, it's still absolutely gripping. And like, I I found it really fascinating to watch and, and you do come around on him and kind of understand him by the end of it and go just like if you had a first impression of someone and you're like, Oh, that guy was kind of a dick bag. But then like, uh, that might've just been in that moment. You might've just seen him in a bad mood or something like that, where I think your first impression of him might not be the greatest, but if you stick with it and watch it and, you still might not like him by the end, but you'll kind of understand. And, right. And but I, think... I mean, that's but but that's the thing. The great thing about not just documentaries, but but you know, filmmaking in general, the the character doesn't need to be likable to be interesting. Yep. And I think that that's important that the filmmakers do that because if you get a sugar coated documentary where it's edited to have a positive point of view, right. You might not be capturing what this guy's personality is really like. And I applaud them for doing that and him letting them do that because. Again, at the beginning, I don't think he comes across very well. And, like, I don't know if he was trying to be too cool or if that was literally he was – that was him and he's not compromising anything. And he's like, you'll either like me or you won't like me. This is who I am. Right. And they really kind of show you that. And – and and you can tell he he is a good person. It's just that he has – he struggles to kind of emote and and show his feelings and and things like that. And – but he does care about – this one thing a lot and and it's it's really cool his journey is really good and i think it was my favorite thing that i that i pre-screened so and it's laura dern uh approved Approved, yes so you know it's worth seeing yeah yeah, she knows she knows cool uh what did you want to talk about i i think we should probably talk about uh if beale street could talk because i mean you know barry jenkins the writer director of moonlight it's his follow-up and um it's a very different style of movie being an adaptation of uh, James Baldwin's uh, novella of, of the same name. Um, but at the same time, um, it feels like it could also be a play. Um, so it takes place in Harlem in the 1970s, and it's about an African-American family. Um, the youngest daughter, who's 19, uh, is in love with uh, a boy that she's known all her life who's 22 and they have this really beautiful pure relationship that kind of you know everything outside the bubble is is corrupted and and horrible and and you know cynical and and this this relationship is so beautiful and honest and that is affected when he's uh, arrested and sent to prison for a crime that he didn't commit and it's sort of how the family is uh, sort of dealing with that and that you know how she is kind of coping with um, not only him being incarcerated but you find out and this is very early on mm-hmm. uh, in the movie that she's pregnant and how that sort of works between that that relationship and what's kind of really strong about this movie or what you'll really notice right away is the way that the movie is edited. So it shifts um, 
between perspectives and time periods not too long like it's not years and years like it's maybe a couple months or a couple of weeks and it keeps going back and forth between this love story and how the family are dealing with him being incarcerated for a crime he didn't commit and supporting you know uh their daughter and and trying to make the best of the situation it's overt at times it's more plot driven uh but also it's poignant and beautifully acted i think everybody is great stefan stefan james who's a canadian uh, local actor um, nice. is really really wonderful uh he's done work in movies like selma and uh across the uh the lane and and uh you know like this is going to be a, a, a big kind of breakthrough role for him and uh regina king is also fantastic and the dynamic between the family is also very warm and lovable and sometimes you know dark and tragic i mean there's a sequence where uh stefan james's character fonzie runs into an old friend of his who's played by uh uh brian uh, t Ree, uh henry and he's from tv's uh, the tv show atlanta and he talks about being sent to prison for a charge that was originally just him possessing marijuana but then he's uh given a trumped up charge for uh stealing a car and he spent two years in jail and you have through this one conversation at, at dinner you know Stefan James says that you know it sounds awful what you went through you're here now you know everything's good and then you know he responds by saying you know I really appreciate you saying this but at the same time you don't know what I went through in prison and it's haunting and I think it's really what the movie is about because you don't know the experience of of having somebody taken away from you until it actually happens and how Mm -hmm. you have to deal with that so yeah I was uh, pleasantly uh, surprised by it in terms of a follow-up because you're always nervous right well we talked about with the the little stranger last week that the sometimes the the movie after your huge success doesn't quite live up to expectations. So you think this did? Yeah, I I do. But I also think that you should not be going into this movie thinking you're going to get another Moonlight. You're going to get If Beale Street Could Talk. And to me that, I mean, visually it's, there are moments that uh, reference Terrence Malick and Wong Kar Wai and Ozu. um, But Barry Jenkins brings you into the fray in a way that is not, you know, uh, elitist or snobbish in any way like he invites everybody to enjoy the movie and to me it's one of those films that I think will kind of be more underrated by the year's end it's a very quiet movie at times right um but again like so I, moonlight though I would yeah say. yeah but I but there is there is a pointedness to um, the incarceration aspect like I was thinking about Ava DuVarnay's 13th or the house that I live in um, and it's sort of making a point that you know uh, America's prison system and and the uh, police system is completely broken and racially prejudiced and it does have something to say about that and it will have people talking about the movie when it's done and, and I guarantee that last image of the film will resonate with a lot of people awesome how is the score because um that's one thing. Nicholas I Brittle, know, right? yeah, because yeah, yeah. I loved Moonlight Score, and it had that one piece of music that that um, I love that's repeated throughout. Right. Well, he well Nicholas Brittle, who also did the score for uh, Moonlight, and was actually a producer on uh, uh, Whiplash. Oh yeah, and uh, worked with Damien Chazelle as well. Um, 
there's a piece of music that I thought was there's a song that seems to be getting a lot of coverage these days called uh, This Bitter Earth. Okay. The Diane Washington song. And there's a couple cues that sound exactly like the opening couple bars of that, but then it plays into um, sort of original uh, music. music. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of sometimes whimsical without being too fantasy, fantasy driven or kind yeah. of romantic. Fantastical. Fantastic. Like it's not. They can't afford this movie. Can't afford to be uh, uh, over the top or melodramatic in that regard, mm-hmm. because the 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 subject matter that it's dealing with is very real. Especially, you know, um, James Baldwin, the author. He he's in the trailer with the voiceover talking about you know where does he see um, himself in America and how America treats people uh, of men and women of color, and it's again making a very strong and detailed point about that and even just like how people sort of look at you know religion at that time period and and you know parents seeing different sides to the situation but yeah it's it's really well done uh kiki uh lenny i believe is is uh the the lead she is uh, a star in the making um the the whole cast is great it was great to see michael beach who was in a movie that i loved in the in the 90s called one false move which was kind of a no country for old men back in the day um but yeah it, it, again and, and james Laxon's cinematography it's it's weird because the movie starts almost like you're watching you know a romantic comedy or a romantic drama where these two characters in an overhead shot are walking into a park and it's very beautiful and crisp and you think that oh this is going to be very charming <laughs> and lovable but then it becomes very dark and disturbing and there's a couple actors that pop up in the movie that are maybe a little distracting at first dave franco in particular but he has a really nice monologue as well so it's good to hear man yeah i, re- I highly recommend checking it out excited to see it i'm going to the premiere on monday or tuesday yeah i forget when that and also is. i mean just it's or sunday maybe because of um yeah i don't know it's such a shame things. that barry jenkins it took this long for him to make not just this, this but movie, but yeah. but Moonlight as well, because before that, uh, Medicine for Melancholy was ten years ago, eleven years ago now, um, and it feels like well, we could have had like four or five films from him in between that. But well, maybe... it's great that the success of Moonlight will like he wrote this even before he he did Moonlight. I yeah. think wrote right and yeah while like I think after melancholy he wrote this while he was he worked a couple jobs like he he was a writer on the leftovers right and and a couple different things and i think he said he worked at banana republic or something that might be before uh melancholy but yeah i mean it's it's weird how that works we talked about Raimi earlier who's who also i mean maybe it's intentional you're taking a break but right but i mean he um, was a young filmmaker i mean barry Barry jenkins is still a young filmmaker and it just kind of like i'm very happy that both moonlight and if beale street could talk are 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 made and they're out there for people to go and see but it still makes me wonder it's like what could we have had from him in the last 10 years yeah so i just hope you know that you know he's making up for lost time but you know that we get to have a couple more really great films from him at least uh, I'll go through and well, I'll do my next two together. Sure. I'm um, just quickly kind of give um, very brief uh, impressions over them. So first, uh, shock, shock, shark water, shark water, <laughs> uh, shark water extinction. I saw, which is um, uh, a new film from um, Rob Stewart, who unfortunately uh, passed away last year shooting this film. A sequel to his 2006. Film. Six seven yeah yeah uh, Sharkwater, um, 
continuing his journey and his kind of um, exploration into um, the extinction of of sharks and the and the illegal hunting and poaching of them and selling of their fins and their carcasses for food and and different things like that. So. Um, an interesting film because obviously you know going into it that it was completed after his passing and and obviously in in memory uh, uh, of him but it's hard to kind of step back and and view the film that way and and while it does a, a a decent job at kind of continuing what he started in in that first film um it, it does sort of feel like a morbid countdown to his passing or his demise like right um there's a lot of foreshadowing yeah there's some foreshadowing and some voiceover that they use with him talking about death and how he he believes he's going to pass or how he's never going to die or things like that and oh man that doesn't sound great yeah and it it, it's it doesn't quite work especially because you know this was put together afterwards and everyone watching it knows exactly what happened and or at least knows the, the fate of him and I didn't love that stuff, and I felt like um, judging it as an actual movie, everything beforehand was was okay, and like it's it's fairly it kind of feels a bit repetitive in that like um, that he he's kind of reiterating the points he made almost a decade ago or more than a decade ago and that he's still just saying, well, this is still happening now and see how it's evolved or how all the changes that happened after the first film are kind of people are still doing it illegally no matter what like even if the government's um implementing these kind of um procedures to kind of stop it but um and it's kind of just heartbreaking seeing him kind of go through and he is a main figure in the movie he does put himself in front of the camera a lot and 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 part of it and and it's just with each title sequence that comes up that says the date and and where they are you just kind of it does feel like this weird morbid countdown to his final dive which they that's what they call it in the movie right and like you know what's about to happen and and those moments right before his dive where he's getting ready and you see him tinkering with the equipment that ultimately is going to cause his death and 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 it's just it's it's hard to watch and obviously they don't show you anything of the um of what happens but like then it kind of just kind of ends and it feels very abrupt and it it doesn't really go into the aftermath of his passing it just kind of ends on that note and and it's very touching with a celebration of of his life and in, in some photos when he was very young with some sea animals and different things like that. And, and, and it, there's a, uh, the end credit song is somewhere over the rainbow. And it's just like, it, it's, it's pretty typical of what you would expect for like a, a like a, um, uh, in, in memorum. Would you uh, say it's manipulative then in that, in that No, way? I mean, it's, it feels genuine because obviously his parents and, uh, were the ones who, who produced this and, and helped get it finished after his passing and 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 an editor worked with them and his foundation on, on doing it so i feel like it's all pretty well intentioned it's just that i it doesn't quite 
completely like work for me. Like it's right. um I I I do think it it, it is a, a good tribute to him and what he was trying to do, and he seems like a genuine kind of a guy who really cared about his cause and well, he and, was an environmentalist and, yeah and, and they I showcase mean, all of yeah. that and i think it does a good job at showing that and it is a very good tribute to him um it's just it, it's it, it just feels abrupt and feels like a countdown to that one moment and it's just that i don't with the foreshadowing of his death with the voiceovers and stuff like that i don't completely love but um does it feel as as the movie stance does it feel like a complete work no and that's obviously i I, it doesn't like they 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 i'm assuming they worked off of his notes and they used all the footage that he shot probably the majority of it because i'm sure there was still much more that he was going to do after that dive right but it does feel like the movie's just starting to kind of get going and then it abruptly ends because of what happened and i almost would have liked them to kind of take the stance of it's unfortunate of his passing but he obviously cared about this cause more than anything so let's continue what this movie was supposed to be about instead of making it about his death right right? and the movie ends up becoming about his death and while everything preceding it um is about his cause it just ends on that and then that's all you can remember really right instead it, of right? preserving our oceans and and wildlife and that that's is all in there and those, yeah and they that message is heavy throughout and it's heavy at the ending but i just feel like because of with ending on that note instead of kind of maybe with the aftermath and how the people around him were were continuing his kind of quest that like that might have been a a better way to kind of honor him in my opinion right. rather than just kind of um like have someone actually finish the film instead of just put together the film from the footage he did and end it on his passing like i that these aren't spoilers it's a documentary you know what you know what happened so me telling you that's where it ends isn't really you can't really spoil true life or like in a right way. right but, um I, that just felt a little unfortunate like i i'm and don't get me wrong, it is heartbreaking and it's awful. Like you see the moments right before he does that final dive and then they kind of blame it on the, the instructor and, and things like that, which I need to read more about it. But um, I remember it happening, it being heartbreaking, right? He's from Toronto. He's. Uh, Do you think there was any um, malice on the part of the, the instructor or the No, it's, a, it's an accident. Right. And it's an unfortunate accident. And maybe the guy wasn't properly trained or, or he didn't exactly know what he was doing because if for those who don't know he was using a um a different breathing apparatus it wasn't a normal dive it was this unique kind of very difficult to use apparatus that um i think either i i don't i'm not i'm not a diver and i don't know the specific things but essentially how he described it was it's this apparatus that when when you're scuba when you're scuba diving normally um when you release oxygen bubbles come out right because you're you're releasing that and um rob in the movie explains that they're using this apparatus so um it doesn't do that so you can get closer to the animals because you're not scaring them away because you're you're not releasing oxygen or these bubbles to kind of come out and scare them so i forget the exact terminology that uh or the the equipment that they use but essentially um it's supposedly very difficult to use and 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 when they came up a lack of oxygen happened and then they both him and the instructor passed out but then while they were dealing with the instructor when he passed out um rob unfortunately was still in the water when when he did and it's heartbreaking it really really is and like 
you can tell he had so much more he wanted to do and 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 making the movie about it's not all about that event but it ends up ending on that note and that just kind of was like it's heartbreaking but i feel like um it doesn't completely work um but it's it's not bad it's it's actually like everything before that is is it feels a little repetitive but um uh it is interesting in in what he's doing but maybe if you if you've seen shark water it, it might kind of just feel a bit samey but right or it's sequel because um, there's one before that as well there? Yeah, yeah there's three oh, in total now um so I don't know. Like it, it, if it is a nice tribute to him, um, so I'll leave it at that. I mean, it's a. I think it's okay. Okay. Um, and then uh, I also saw through uh, Black Spruce, which is the Don McKellar movie that is uh, uh, playing in special presentations, I believe, um, adapted by the Joseph Boyden novel um that came out i think in in, in sorry i should pull this stuff no up this is an award-winning novel it and is. and you know don mckellar is a critically acclaimed canadian filmmaker if you haven't seen last night i highly recommend checking that one out um but yeah you you didn't love the movie or you were hoping to enjoy it more than you did mm-hmm. and partly um i was talking about you know the way that uh if beale street could talk masterfully shifts between to storylines and perspectives this does something kind of similar with mm-hmm. the narrative structure and i won't go too much into the i mean again read my review if you want to um um kind of see what I, I had to say about it but the novel which was published in 2008 did win some um awards it won the scotiabank giller prize in 2008 and it was written by joseph boyden and um there was some controversy there because um Boyden, I, I don't want to go too deep into it because I don't want to say anything incorrectly, but essentially, um, Boyden, um, there's some cultural appropriation kind of um, accusations that have been made towards him and towards the novel of, of. Uh, so this is before the movie itself. Before the movie itself. So um, I mean, he's he's mentioned that he believes his genealogy and and he has an affiliation to um indigenous culture in canada but some people have questioned that um he is a white male um from from north york and 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 then with this film being adapted and then also by don mckeller who is also a white male um i think there's some controversy behind that and uh, and some cultural appropriation kind of narratives that are being pointed towards this movie and it's hard to kind of watch this and not think about those things and um i had a great conversation with nevis my partner about this beforehand and and I, i've tried to read up on it as as much as possible and and um there is a good article um on the globe and mail um that talks about this and cameron bailey giving his statement and um and one of the producers um giving their statement on on why they think don mckellar was the best choice for this movie which i don't necessarily 100 percent agree with and and why they didn't go with an indigenous filmmaker uh to make this movie and um yeah to me it, it, it it's not it's not great and i feel like they're you can't help but think about those things but the movie has other problems other than that as well right i just feel like it to your point it had um some some structure problems and because it takes place in problems. partly in toronto and yeah sorry to give the synopsis so Moosonee, ontario Moosonee. it's about a uh, a missing girl um named 
uh, Annie, um, uh, no, her, her sister Suzanne goes missing in Toronto. She's a fashion model. She leaves Moosini and goes to Toronto and goes missing. Okay. Um, and then the, the movie takes place from two perspectives. Um, Annie, her sister, who goes to uh, visit Toronto to try and investigate her sister's di- disappearance, and her uncle Will it, back in Moosonee. And it kind of dives deep into the world of like fashion and, and drug dealing and, and in both. So the underbelly Toronto. of society and, and the kind of like the big city life that kind of swallows you whole and, and, and takes away everything or leaves you with nothing left. Right. So the film um, tries to structure it in a way that it's kind of shifting perspectives from Moosonee and toronto and then juxtaposition between those two cultures and um i just don't think the film does a great job at kind of balancing those like i feel like um it spends almost too much time with one uh, party or the other without a kind of reminding us that the other one's there or how those two stories so it feels um, like it starts and stops yes it feels like two almost completely different movies that you're watching because you'll see a large chunk that takes place in toronto and then you'll completely forget what's happening in moosini and then you'll go back to moosini and go oh shit yeah okay what's what's will doing and then you spend so much time with him that i feel like they could have um done a better job at kind of interweaving those two stories and 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 cutting back to them a little bit more often for you to to remind you that this other story is taking place at the same time that's re- that is um, really tough to do though it is I, it, no and i i understand that and I, I get what they're trying to do and i think at, at times like um it, it works but as a whole it just kind of excuse me um um this cherry coke's coming back it's good me. though cherry it coke is, is not a sponsor though <laughs> Um, it kind of um, doesn't do a great job of showcasing, I don't know, at least the Toronto that I, I'm not in the fashion or drug world of Toronto. Right. Really? But like, um, it just feels a little hokey at times and, and filled with stereotypes throughout. And it just it, it wants to be this kind of hard-edged kind of thriller near the end of it. And I don't think but it, it kind, quite But it kind works. of comes off corny. Is there is there, is there any or sort of genre moments within within there the are to, uh, near the end of the film and there are some kind of um things peppered throughout but i um not pepperminted no but it's kind of it's a slow burn and and it, it, at times it, it it's okay but at the most part it just doesn't quite work when you put it all together and it doesn't really come to a satisfying conclusion at least uh from my perspective and i feel like there were some stylistic choices that i feel like they would have kind of gone deeper into um there's an interesting shot of um i mean the movie starts when you find out that uh her uncle will um is is in a coma like he the movie opens with him getting basically his ass whooped and you don't know who is doing it um and then there's this interesting shot that's in the trailers as well that is him lying in his hospital bed in in the middle of a forest and kind of pans upward and and shows him there and i it it's an i i really liked that and they really don't really go back that's the only time they kind of utilize some so it kind of has a surreal quality yeah and there it doesn't really kind of go deeper into that and um i think the cast is actually pretty decent but they're just not given right graham green's in it right? yep and it's got a really really kind of solid cast i just feel like the the way that it's portrayed on screen just doesn't quite work and um i just feel like because of all these the kind of choices that mckellar makes and the way the movie's structured and and kind of some of the 
the I, I don't blame the performances. I just feel like some of the dialogue isn't written very well. And I just feel like, again, it goes back to maybe there was a better choice who could have handled this subject matter a little bit right. better. And, and I mean, referencing that Globe and Mail article again, one of the producers, Tina Keeper, um, she mentioned that it's not so much cultural appropriation, but more so collaboration, right? And that they did think Don McKellar was the best choice for this film. And it's it's interesting because I don't know, like, I'm. this is just me guessing, but I have a feeling that they probably tried to get an indigenous filmmaker to, to make this movie. And I, I almost, this is just me kind of guessing. Speculating, yeah. Speculating that I bet you they just didn't, they wanted nothing to do with it, I'm I'm assuming, based on kind of um, what I've read about how people perceive Joseph Boyden's novel and things like that. And, and um, then it just goes, okay, then why did it need get to, made? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if the book was successful but controversial, then I, and I, Cameron makes a good point in the Globe and Mail article as well of being like, well, it, it, it does showcase great indigenous actors that you don't always get to see on screen, right? And I don't right. disagree with that. And I think they're all they're all showcased fairly well and, and, and do a good job in the movie. I just don't think what's around them is, is very good. And then – or are there indigenous filmmakers and indigenous stories that we should be telling? There, there, that, it's good that you mention it. I just want to quickly mention this because I think that this is a great moment too. Uh, Jeff Barnaby a couple years ago directed a movie called uh, Rhymes for Young Ghouls, yeah. which is about um, a group of kids who – had to deal with the horrors of boarding school and and again being culturally uh treated to losing their heritage and their culture through barbaric and brutal means of torture and that movie came out uh, again a few years ago now but to me like i feel like jeff barnaby was a guy who understood how to infuse genre with historical context really beautifully and i think he's making a movie right now so i i really hope that you know more people check out that film uh, great to hear and i do really want to see that because i remember tiff 2013 yeah um people were um raving about that and and again it goes back to maybe i'm not even the best person to kind of comment or or speculate on some of this stuff either right Right. and then but i'm just trying to review the movie as i see it and the the give it a fair shake yeah and the movie i just uh it it just didn't quite work for me and i would love to uh this is a fascinating conversation that i never we talked about this before too of like some of these kind of topics in 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 2018 in that i mean even before 2018 but like um i want to bring people on who have a different perspective or maybe have something that can relate to it a bit more and 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 things like that that i'd be fascinated to talk to um some different people about this just because like i'm coming from one side of things and i'm only seeing what i see online and in print yeah and and reading about and researching about and and then just watching the movie for the movie right and i just didn't think the movie was very good so right um yeah so uh that those are the kind of two other things that i saw so uh moving over to you you have a couple more things that you yeah yeah i mean i saw uh the jacques odiard english lang his first english language uh movie he's a french filmmaker who a couple years ago uh at the festival had Deepan, uh which was the uh, Cannes Film Festival winner. He started out making sort of genre heist um, sort of crime movies like Read My Lips with Vincent Casal and The Beat That My Heart Skipped and sort of graduated into more 
a quote-unquote sophisticated work with a prophet and uh, rust and bone and so this is the second time that he's worked with um, author Patrick DeWitt who also wrote the short story that Rust and Bone was based on um, John C. Riley is a producer on this movie he was the one that kind of came to him with it and it's a story about two brothers uh, brothers by blood sisters by name uh, played by Riley and Joaquin Phoenix and they kind of play good old boys uh, they're bounty hunters that are sent on a mission uh, to go and kill uh, Riz Ahmed's character who's a chemist that's found a way to take uh, find gold using a chemical solution and it's sort of them on uh, the uh, Oregon uh, trail heading south and waiting for confirmation from Jake Gyllenhaal's character who is kind of like the the go-between man and what was really surprising about this movie is that the film is about change and change being something that can be scary and um, threatening to some people like the Joaquin Phoenix character who, you know, loves to be uh, violent and sort of is very much like his father. And they talk about that quite a bit where then you have the juxtaposition of Joaquin Phoenix being, uh, not Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal being more sophisticated and uh, a modern uh, thinker and progressive kind of man and sort of him even with his accent he's kind of got a uh, not an English accent but a very uh, fine-tuned spoken high society yes high society <laughs> kind of way um, even though he's a two-faced liar yeah. and he's leading Riz Ahmed into a horrible situation um but the, and then in the middle of all this, you have John C. Riley, who's more of a kind of passive kind of guy. He loves his brother, but he sees that he's kind of a loose cannon. And um, again, like you see the uh, metaphors of change literally when like you know the invention of the toothbrush is becoming more popular or um, uh, toiletries becoming uh, more common. And when they go to San Francisco, the it's it's almost like a metropolis of of of, of modern sophistication. Um, but but also it's saying, hey, well, you know, you can't just throw people into progress. They have to get there at their own speed and seeing these people sort of adapt and having moments of, of conflict between them really works. And it's mostly it's kind of a forehander in the way that it's divided into two parts. It goes back and forth, but it's mostly spent on the brothers. And uh, John C. Riley gives a really touching, vulnerable performance. It's just a nice reminder to know that, you know, he can do uh, Dr. Steve Brule and comedy stuff. But he started, you know, as a character actor yeah. and, you know, Brian De Palma's Casualties of War and worked with Paul Thomas Anderson and was a theater actor. And It's and... not just Will Ferrell's stepbrothers. Guy. No, no. And he's great at those. <laughs> no, so I know. I love him. Wrong. I love him but, in that. Too, but, but it's just a really good performance and it's stoic and it's earnest and you need that to kind of be the the, the bridge and, and the guy who's going to sort of get you out of the bad situations and be the responsible one. And he really, really shines in this movie. And if you see it just for that, it's amazing. Um, the lighting is beautiful, although I think that they should have shot this on, on film because there's no hiding the digital kind look of, of look it. to the yeah. movie. But it's more, more coherent than... Uh, Rust and Bone, which felt like there was two or three movies in one, where this is literally a straightforward line. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it really works. I, I, I don't think it's going to be everybody's cup of tea, but I also really love films, American movies from the point of view of European filmmakers, because again, you're getting a different kind of perspective of the Old West. It's not necessarily your traditional John Wayne, Clint Eastwood uh, Western. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's kind of got a kind of 
quirky, melancholy sense about it. Uh, the only other filmmakers I could think that maybe could do uh, this material justice was maybe the coen brothers but they have their own western coming out on on netflix so yeah i I highly recommend checking it out it opens here in canada on october the 5th and i'll be talking about it more when it when it comes out and it's it's surprisingly well done cool man i'm excited to check it out i i loved it d-fan a lot like that caught me off guard i know it won the palm d'or so my expectations were kind of um i mean sometimes i don't love the palm d'or right um but i love d-fan so um i'm kind of excited to check this out and it seems like a trend that I mean, not a soup, a huge trend, but I mean, Claire Denis always uh, also has her English language debut at the festival this year too. Right. So it's interesting seeing some of these kind of filmmakers come in and make an English language uh, film and seeing how that translates. Yeah, and I and I also have to say I hope that uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Riz Ahmed continue their their collaborations together because after Nightcrawler and this, they they've got something that like a chemistry, uh, a, a really strong chemistry as a duo, but also there's just there again like there's a humane kind of quality to you know their their expanding complex relationship with one another in that movie um that is really wonderful to behold cool yeah and then lastly you also Uh, saw yes i just saw this so i pardon me because it's still kind of i'm still processing but i uh i I saw karen kusama's destroyer or as i was joking destroya uh, starring Nicole Kidman as an L.A. cop or L.A. detective, a grizzled L.A. detective. Um, you've probably seen that photo that's been posted on Twitter everywhere where she's, you know, uh, covered in makeup and, and prosthetics and she looks... Transformative. Tr- transformative <laughs> and, and she's gone through a lot. Well, the storyline is is that she plays this detective that has gone through a really horrible case 15 years prior, which was a... Um, heist situation she was going deep undercover infiltrating a cult who's led by uh, uh, Toby Kebbell okay. uh, who looks like uh, David Copperfield circa 1986 uh, he's got a really bad wig in the flashback sequences because that those sequences that are interspersed throughout the movie take place in Palm Springs um, and you kind of see like what made her sort of more bitter and angry and uh, an anti-hero if you will and um while there are moments in this movie i admired i think i really like the score out of anything the most it kind of feels like a, a horror movie score like you could take that score and put it in hereditary and it would work okay uh from theodore shapiro um but the film kind of plays in cliches a lot of the characters are one note a lot of the performances are underdeveloped or they're not given enough time there's a lot of really wonderful people in it um there's another toby in the movie toby huss who pops up briefly who's who's great but i'd say the scene stealer in this film uh is bradley whitford who is just he he's got the market cornered in playing great slime balls yeah. like whether it be brooklyn 99 or get out like in this movie he nearly steals the whole film in one sequence and and it's it's a fun sequence so I'll, I'll just leave it at that but yeah to me it feels like your traditional kind of 
uh, rough around the edges detective story with a really strong central performance and uh, you know, some people might not like Nicole Kidman's work here because it does feel almost like a caricature, but you have to look at like a lot of these stories, those types of performances are caricatures, and we don't get to see women in these types of roles very often. I mean, usually they're the supportive wife or the friendly partner. They're not, you know, the cop who's going to beat the crap out of you and, you know, cuss and swear and drink and throw up on on people, and and it's you can tell that she's having a lot of fun with it, and it's also very emotional at times, so... I, and and I think that she can do anything. So I mean, fans of her will will love the movie. Um, I was just a little disappointed considering that uh, Kara Kusama's last movie was The Invitation, and I was Which blown away by that yeah. film. The Invitation's excellent. Yeah, it's awesome. If you haven't seen that, I think it's still on Netflix. Yeah, and um, and, and and Tatiana Maslany's in it as well, and she's she's good for a couple scenes that she's in. But again, like there's not really any one character besides Nicole Kidman who's given a lot of development or uh, performance-wise other than, you know, if they're just good at playing into those roles like Bradley Whitford is. Nice, man. Yeah. Awesome. All right. It's begun, man. It we has. Just, we just talked about six or seven TIFF movies. That's crazy. And we'll be talking about um, more in, in, in after the two weeks are over. Yes. Yeah, so um, next week might be a little bit different. Um, we might be a slightly delayed with the episode. I know at the beginning of this we said every Monday, 9 yeah. a.m. Uh, we might have to record on the Monday after the festival, after we're um, exhausted to kind of give a, a kind of a wrap-up and, and things. Um, so, yeah. Thank you all for listening again. Um, as always, um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, um, Stitcher. It would be amazing if you guys uh, gave us a rating and and show this to your friends or family who love movies. Um, we appreciate everyone who's who's done so al- already, but it really kind of helps us out with those ratings on on those services. Um, TIFF is just getting started. We're going to see fucking. 40 more movies i think each of us 40 plus more movies so we'll have a giant kind of wrap up at the end of the festival talking about everything we loved or uh didn't love um and you can follow us in real time on Mm -hmm. our twitter accounts as well in terms of like what we recommend our reactions after coming out of screenings and uh matt where where can we find you on the interweb yes you can find uh all those capsule reviews that i talked about on in the seats.ca um as well as my peppermint review um yes also follow me at matt rorabeck on twitter where i will be posting kind of my gut reactions out of uh each tiff movie that i see so you'll at the be- beginning but then you'll give up later on because right, you're like depending. it was okay yeah because <laughs> no. by the time you hit that second week you've hit that sec that yeah. wall and you're just kind of like yeah right but i mean i'm gonna try and kind of react to each movie that i see unless like it's not even worth my time but right. um yeah follow me at matt Rohrbeck on twitter where i will be um kind of uh posting all my tiff reactions what about you uh you can find uh my review of peppermint at rogers uh, com slash cinema scene uh the cops are here to get me again <laughs> uh you can also follow me on my uh, twitter account at em6211 that's also my instagram account um and uh we'll be shooting a cinema scene show after the festival is over as well and and i'll release dates of when you can stream that on the website cool man uh that's it everyone uh check back next week for a big gigantic tiff wrap up i'm sure that's all we'll be talking about and it'll be probably very very long and i can't cannot wait um calm before the storm but just get talking about these movies got me fucking jacked up so i'm uh, super excited follow us at untitled underscore cast on twitter untitled 
moviecast on instagram or just go to untitledmoviepodcast.com for everything about this show thank you again guys love you all see you next week happy tiffmas